Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, Sunday edition. Uh, I am James Thomas, and we do every day a reading of the Gospel of the Day and a meditation. Today is Sunday, October the 22nd, 2023. It is the, uh, well, if it wasn't a Sunday, if it weren't a Sunday, it would be the feast of Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul the Great. And it is the 29th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and the reading today is from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. The Pharisees went off and plotted how they might entrap Jesus in speech. They sent their disciples to him with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are a truthful man and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Are you not concerned with anyone's opinion? For you do not end, I'm sorry, You are not concerned with anyone's opinion, for you do not regard a person's status. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Knowing their malice, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that pays the census tax. Then they handed him the Roman coin. He said to them, Whose image is this and whose inscriptions? Inscription. They replied, Caesar's. (coughs) At that he said to them, Then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. So, as I always say, Jesus is so smart. Isn't he awesome? He knows their malice. They're trying to throw him off. They're, uh, They're kissing up to him, we might say. They're trying to butter him up. Well, teacher, you're so truthful. And you don't care what anybody thinks. You always tell us the right thing. So should we pay the tax to Caesar or not? Well, he never said you shouldn't. But they're trying to trap him. Once again, they're always trying to trap him with one extreme or another. Either he's going to sound like he's pro-Caesar and therefore he can't be the Messiah. Or he's going to sound like he's anti-Caesar and then they'll have something to catch him on, to put him to death. They're going to eventually put him to death, but it's going to be with lies. So he says, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? You don't care what the answer is. Give me the coin. Whose image is this? Caesar's. Then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Right off the bat here, we have a wonderful commentary on the good of private property. (laughs) But I'm not going to get into that today. But that would be an awesome topic to get into. How the Lord himself in this passage and in other passages defends uh, the rights of everybody to their own stuff. But another thing Jesus is doing here is saying, and and this passage is used all the time to say, you know, as Christians, but St. Paul gets into this as well. There's other places that we have a duty to the government. You know, they're, they're running things. It's like, I don't know, there's so many things where people will take issue, yet they're hypocrites because they do the same thing in other places. I was going to say this lady used to come to my church and she was so mad. She was breaking all the rules of the church, but she was so mad she couldn't just have whatever she wanted. Well, the lady was one of the managers over at the gym that I used to go to. And when my father was dying, I wanted a little help with my membership. Like, can we postpone my membership? Do I have to pay this and that? Can we reimburse me? I'm not able to get there. I don't want to lose my membership, but my father's dying. No, no, no. These are the rules. Oh, I see. When it comes to a stupid gym membership, we have to abide by the rules. There are no exceptions. Even when your father is dying and you can't get to the gym, 
However, when it comes to your salvation, oh yeah, let's throw all the rules out the window because salvation really, the church and Jesus and all that, well, that's just a bunch of garbage, right? We can just, it's all opinion, right? It's all fairy tale. So just do whatever you want. Ah, don't get me started on these things. So with so many other things, think of anything in life that you do. There's always rules attached and we want there to be rules. If you join, I mean, I'm very into swimming. If you join a swim club, yeah, everybody's got to pay their dues. You know why? Because they need that money to pay for the water in the pool. Water is expensive, especially when you're filling pools. It also pays for the lifeguards. It also pays for the new tables and umbrellas and chairs that they have to constantly buy. And the landscaping and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So, yes, Jesus says we do have duties to government. I mean, there's different forms of government, and our Lord is very clear. I mean, the Bible is very clear. We do not cooperate with things that are evil. Our faith is clear on this. If the government is telling you, okay, we're all going to kill a certain group of people or persecute them or whatever, okay, at that point, we reject our government, or at least we reject that portion of the government. We fight against it. But when it comes to paying taxes— Yeah, okay. I mean, we can fight against the taxes. We can say, well, you're taxing us too much. And yeah, with ownership, there needs to be boundaries. Yeah, but there's also legitimate taxes, legitimate cooperation in civil society. And Jesus is saying, yeah, do that. That's important. Do that. But give to God what belongs to God. Now, isn't this interesting? Some people, once again, God is a fairy tale, but you better pay your taxes. Even when your taxes now are, let's be honest, it's just the government stealing from you to have, don't get me started, (laughs) all kinds of corruption. Let's just leave it there. There's everybody in the government's filling their pockets, not everybody, but a lot of them. And in the meantime, it's harder and harder to pay your property taxes. It's harder and harder to pay for things. Okay, we do have a right to fight for those things. But it's funny how people sometimes are so into their duty to society, very often because they don't have God. So they need, we're made to worship. So we need some form of a God. Sometimes people make the civil society their God. But in the meantime, Let's look at this final statement here, and this is really what I wanted to talk about today. Give to God what belongs to God. What belongs to God? Hmm. Well, it's not like he made everything. Oh, wait, that's right. He did. Why am I so animated today? I don't know. It's a nice fall day. It's beautiful out. The Phillies won last night. The Eagles are playing tonight, their biggest game of the season so far. Anyway, whatever. It's all good. Um. And I, <laughs> I don't have, I can't see your faces, so I don't see you getting annoyed with me that I'm talking too long. Let's talk about what belongs to God. Everything, I have it written in my notes here with exclamation points, everything belongs to God. What's funny is that Jesus, you know, in a good way here, he exaggerates or under-exaggerates. He, Jesus really says a lot of funny things if you really analyze his language. Jesus I'm sure, I mean, I know it's hard to think of this, especially if you put Jesus in this rigid box, you know, but, and this is why people hate the show, The Chosen. But in reality, if Jesus is the perfect man, which he is, he's God and man, and he's the perfect man, that means he has a personality that's awesome, right? 
he's got a better personality than the rest of us put together. It's not just that he doesn't sin. It's not just that he uh, does things well, but he also has a personality. I think people without personalities don't understand the value of this. But Jesus would have drawn people to himself constantly. And so, you know, I'm sure Jesus in saying this sees the humor in what he's saying. Oh, give to God what belongs to God. In other words, yeah, do your, and and what does the Bible tell us? To tithe. Okay, we can talk about tithing a little bit, but it's funny. It's funny because when I, t- when I pay taxes to the government, what is it right now? Like w- income taxes, like 22% for me right now. It's insane. When we talk about giving to God his due, the Bible says 10%. Yet in reality, everything is God's. Everything is his. There are schools of thought, I mean, based on the Acts of the Apostles, that we should just give everything to the church. Well, the church doesn't say that, but the church does say, let's tithe, like the Bible says, 10%. You know, in the Acts of the Apostles, they held back and then people were punished for it and everything. Okay, well, that had a lot more to do with dishonesty and expectations and things like that. Plus, yeah, if there's a religious life type of situation, somebody becomes a monk or a nun, I mean, it's not saying that specifically in Acts. But yeah, then, you know, if I'm going to enter a community, I have to take a vow of poverty. I give up everything. But generally speaking, in our lives, according to our faith, we're required to give 10%. A lot of people don't do that. They completely ignore it. And it's not just 10% of our money. It's 10% of our time and our talent. Do we do that? Do we give to God our time, talent, and treasure? 10% of it. But let's just get back <laughs> to the ultimate truth here, and that is everything belongs to God. Everything, which is why sin is sin. Anytime we lie, it, it, you know, think about it. God doesn't say be truthful 90% of the time or 10% of the time, right? He doesn't say don't kill people 10% of the time. The, whole, the other 90% do whatever you want. He doesn't say don't commit sexual sin 10% of the time. He wants all of us, 100%. There always is to be charity. There always is to be prayer, a constant dialogue with the Lord, because he's there with his ears open to us. He's there next to you right now, in front of you, around you, inside you, above you, below you, with his heart open to you. So everything belongs to him. Yet, He says, well, give to God what belongs to God. And and so we go with this uh, 10%. Another thing that Jesus says, now, this is a great passage when we're talking about religious vocations, but it applies to everybody and everything, you know, in terms of the sacrifices that they make. Jesus promises a hundredfold. If you give up things for me, in one of the passages, it says, if you give up wife for me, but In the other passages, it doesn't say wife. And then there's Peter saying, well, we've given up everything, but we know Peter has a wife. So, all right, that's a little confusing. But still, when Peter says it in the other, I think it's two other passages, Jesus doesn't include wife, but still in all those passages, Jesus says, I promise you, amen, amen, I say to you, those who have given up home, lands, father, mother, wealth, children, etc., for me, for the kingdom of heaven, you will receive a hundredfold and eternal life. So the ultimate meaning here is that God cannot be outdone in generosity. We give him a little here and there, 
He's the creator of the universe. He promises us a hundredfold. And then heaven is going to be a whole lot more than a hundred. Heaven is going to be infinity. So imagine we make a tiny little sacrifice. Oh, look at me. I'm giving up chocolate for Lent. Ooh, God is going to give you eternal happiness. He gives you the Eucharist. You know what that is? I don't know why I'm so animated today. I'm, I'm talking like I'm uh, Mark Levin. <laughs> but if ever you listen to him, he screams at you the whole time. But the Eucharist is his flesh that was pierced for us, broken and tortured for us. That's literally what you receive when you receive communion. It's not just that it's God, the God of the universe. I mean, that's amazing in and of itself. That's infinitely amazing. But even more than that, when you're receiving his body and blood and how often are we so nonchalant and we ignore him and then we can't wait to get out of the church, blah, 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 blah. The stuff that drives me crazy, the way people are so disrespectful to the Eucharist, the way that, you know, you're giving out communion and now you got to sanitize your hands and there's little white particles going everywhere. That's actually a sacrilege. And if you know you're doing that, you're desecrating the host because, you know, you're wiping particles all over the place. You're excommunicated. That happens automatically, de facto. That's another whole topic for another day. But we so disrespect the Eucharist, which is why we should have altar rails, kneeling, on the tongue, etc. Just let the priest give out communion. For goodness sake, it's at what, an extra five minutes? Give me a break. All right. That having been said, we disrespect the Eucharist, and yet what is it? It's alive. With all these Eucharistic miracles, what do we see? It's living heart tissue. It's his broken heart. They analyzed it and they said it's a man under duress. Jesus wants to bond with you in the most intimate way possible, even more intimate than man and wife. I mean, exponentially more intimate than man and wife. Because it's Jesus's tortured, broken body that he gives to us in the Eucharist. It's been ripped apart. His skin, there's like a low percentage of skin left on his body because he's been completely ripped apart by the cat of nine tails. And then he's carrying the cross. Then he's pierced to the cross. His blood is like there's, there's none left in his body because it's all poured out. And that's what he gives you in communion, asking you to open your heart so that the two hearts can become one, so that his mind can become your mind, so that his love can become your love. We're supposed to become what we receive Yet to realize he made the sacrifice so you don't have to. What he endured, you will never have to endure. Unless you reject him, then you end up in hell. Okay, now you're enduring what he endured, the pains of hell. But Jesus did all that so that you don't have to. So he gives us everything beyond what we can even understand. Never mind all that he's done for us, you know, aside from the cross, creating the universe, creating us, our lives, every cell of your body, he is regulating. His finger is on every cell of your body. The people that he's put into your life, the situations, the circumstances, the way he's going to intervene to help you and save you over and over again until death and then make you happy with him for all eternity. Anyway, I can go on and on and on about what actually belongs to God everything. I'm so passionate about this because think about the, the reality of what I'm saying. Jesus is, is so undermining himself <laughs> in what he's saying here. And that's what he does. He does that because he doesn't want to overwhelm us because he's a good parent, because he loves us insanely. And he's just trying to win us over. 
he's making it seem like uh, he owes us something. I mean, St. Paul says Jesus becomes a slave for us. It's insane what Jesus does for us. So if we keep going here a little bit further, God can't be outdone in generosity. Give to God what belongs to God. What belongs to God? Everything belongs to God. Did you ever notice that, um, I don't know if, if you've had an opportunity to notice this, the people that are more poor are the most generous. Mother Teresa used to say about abortion, give me your kid if you don't want him. Give me the child. Because there's families in Calcutta, they live in relative poverty. They have to eight kids but they could easily feed one more mouth. They, they never go hungry. Everyone's happy. They focus on family and relationships. Give me that child. You in America with your fancy house, your mansion that you live in, your five cars, your, your good jobs, your plenty of space. You know, you, these, these families in Calcutta live in a, in a tiny little space. You could fit like 20 or 30 of these families on your back lawn. Right. And then you're going to say you can't have a child that you don't have the resources to take care of that child. She says, send him to me, send him to Calcutta. That's just one example of so many. I had a friend that was stationed uh, as a seminarian in the inner city and he said he was blown away. He just spent time with the homeless people. He was blown away how generous they were. They would ask him sometimes, can I have money? Can I have food? This or that. Sometimes he would get it for them. Sometimes no. And sometimes, just as an experiment, he would say to them, you know, I'm really hungry. Do you guys have any food here? He just wanted to see how they would react. And they would get him a sandwich. They would get him food. They would figure something out. These people were starving, and they would share their, their food with him. And he just did that as, as a learning moment and as an opportunity to, for them to show charity. And, and, and he was helping them endlessly. So... Priest friends of mine that have been stationed at poorer parishes, um, they're more generous. Think about the most beautiful churches in America. America. In America, I, I don't mean to offend anybody by saying this. This is just reality. The newer churches built by people with lots of money in the wealthier places look like circus tents in comparison to the older churches built by Poor immigrants. They had nothing. But you know what they had? They had their church. <laughs> they had the community, in other words. They had their relationships. And they poured their lives into those churches. And that's why even now you go into one of these inner city churches, like in Philadelphia, New York, Baltimore, whatever city you're in, D.C., and these churches are, like, incredible. They're amazing. And that's the way it was in Europe. These poor people in the cities they built these churches. I mean, it wasn't always the case. Sometimes a king would give a, a grant. Uh, yeah, people in royalty sometimes practice the faith. Look at the catacombs. Not only do they not have money, they were being persecuted and tortured and killed. And yet some of these catacombs are incredible. The effort put into their place of worship. So we need to embrace that spirit of poverty. We need to embrace that spirit of generosity more and more. Render under Caesar what belongs to Caesar. It's true. We have our duties to society, and that's all well and good. But render unto God what belongs to God. And that means even if you're involved in civil society, use it as an opportunity to save souls. Whatever you're involved in in your life, every second belongs to God. We should be using our minutes, our seconds, our days, our hours, our weeks, our months, our years 
to reach souls, to show charity, to talk about how much we love Jesus and how much we love our faith, to bring Our Lady into every place so that she can bring Jesus with her into all these places. Tell people about Fatima and Lourdes and Guadalupe. Why did Our Lady do all these things if we're not going to talk about them? Tell people about that call to prayer that will literally save our souls. We are children of God. We belong to God. And we will be happy and experience salvation to the degree that we pray, that we talk to him, that we connect with him, that we realize we are his children and everything is his. And that's a good thing. Have a great day. God bless you.